Good morning. My name is Jana Halls, and I'll be reading our scripture this morning. Um, today's scripture is out of Luke 18, 1 through 8, and that is page 877 in your Blue Bibles. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not give God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You may be seated and take time to reflect on God's word. This morning, as well as uh, next Sunday, I want to focus our attention on prayer and allow these passages today from Luke 17 and 18, and next week we'll add Psalm 13 to it, to influence what you write on your prayer cards. So the prayer cards, again, just said this, they're on the back uh, there just as you leave. And we just want to think about what we would want to put on that prayer card for the year. And we need to make sure we don't think of our prayer card like a PT's order. <laughs> How many of you know that PT's? You go to PT's is a burger and fry place that you must try if you haven't been there. And I hate to introduce it to your mind right now because I'm afraid that is all you're going to be thinking about for the next 20 or 30 minutes. But at PT's, you go, and there's a little pad, and you order. You know, I want the burger with cheese, and I like lettuce and tomato, and then I need extra fries for sure, and I'd like, a, you know, a uh, lemonade. And a lot of times, prayer can sort of feel like that. You, you have a card, and you say, okay, God, I mean, in case you didn't know, here are the five things I need this year. And if you could just check these boxes for me and hand me back the order that I'm looking for, that, that's not what we want to see happen. I'm not saying you aren't going to have things on your heart that you put on there, but it's not as if God's sort of like the waiter and he's just waiting for you to turn in your little card so he can check all the boxes. One of the, one of the primary purposes of prayer is to transform you. And a lot of times we, we, we go to prayer saying, God, I want you to do things. In other words, you're not doing something, so I'd like for you to do it. So it's sort of like we're trying to transform God into the butler that we need. And it's very opposite of that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we are beholding the glory of God. That's what you do in prayer. You behold the glory of God. And then you're transformed into his image, and this is an important phrase, one degree of glory to another. So it doesn't happen all at once. It's just one, like we're just turning the temperature up one degree of glory to another. So think, 
Does my prayer card look like a PT's order? Or is what I'm putting on this card designed to, to transform me? In other words, if these were answered, they would be transformative to me. I would be more like the image of God. I would be transformed from one degree of glory to another. So my primary purpose this morning is taken from Jesus' primary purpose, and he says it in Luke 1. He tells them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. That's his goal. I'm going to tell you the story, and my hope in telling you the story is that you would always pray and not lose heart. And for the purpose of verse 8, the very end of the parable, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? In other words, I want you to pray and not lose heart because I'm going to return, and I want to find faith. That's what I'm looking for. So that's my purpose this morning and to some degree next week as well. So to focus our time this week and next, I want to think about three things, the context, the content, and then a case. The context, the content, and then a case. So the context comes out of chapter 17. It's helpful to see how Jesus' exhortation or Jesus' parable is the conclusion of what he's been saying in chapter 17. So if you don't know that, it's helpful to know it, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Then the content of the parable itself. And then I wanted to look at a case, like a case study. And really, I should have said an example, but content, context, and case was better than example. So I'm using case. And the case is Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is somebody who's losing heart. And so I wanted to like, I wanted to say, okay, we got sort of this information. Let's look at a real person, somebody who is losing heart, somebody who's in danger of their heart going cold. And what does this prayer sound like and what can we learn from that prayer? And that'll be the meat of this, of the sermon next week, Psalm 13. So let's look at the first two, the context and then the content First, the context. Let's look back at chapter 17. It really is helpful to follow along in your Bible or whatever device you're reading off of. Verse 22, and Jesus says to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. So just the Son of Man is a phrase that is, is at the end of chapter 18, verse 8. The Son of Man. This is a reference to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, the Son of Man's going to come and he's going to find faith. And he's coming back here to verse 22 saying, hey, there's going to be days, disciples, when you will desire to see one of the days of Son of Man. In other words, you're going to wish that you were with me and you're not going to see me. So Jesus is telegraphing there's going to be a period of time where I'm not going to be here and you're going to wish to see me. You're going to say, oh, I just long for one of those days with Jesus. And they will say to you, look here or look there, Do, don't go out following them. Because when I return, verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Meaning, they're longing for Jesus to return, his second advent, and Jesus is trying to instill complete confidence that there won't be anything hidden about his arrival. There was something hidden about his first arrival. 
that you could see it and not see it. People would come and see Jesus, but they wouldn't see him. But in his second arrival, everyone's going to see. It's going to be like lightning in the sky. The difference between his first arrival and his second arrival is the difference between a candle and a lightning bolt. So he's going to come back, and he's trying to help his disciples understand, hey, don't worry, you're not going to miss it in any way, and it's going to come suddenly and swiftly like a, a peal of lightning across the sky. And then interestingly, verse 26, he uses two Old Testament illustrations. When, when he comes, it's going to be sort of like this Old Testament illustration that I'm going to pick up for you, verse 26. Just as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. So he's making this comparison. They were eating, these people were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered an ark and then the flood came. And nobody was like, hey, is it flooding? No, everybody knew it was flooding all at the same time. You see what he's trying to say? When I come, it's going to be like that. Everyone automatically all across the globe is going to know something's changed. Likewise, this is his second story, just as in the days of Lot. They were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planning, and building. And on that day, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who is on their housetop with his goods and his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let no one who is in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. We'll get to that. Whoever seeks to pervert, preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus pulls out these two interesting stories, Noah and Lot, and he compares them. And you'll need to go back and do some reading on your own for the backdrop, but the basic backdrop to both stories is that it was a time of spiritual darkness and evil that had been persistent over time. And Noah and Lot lived in these spiritually dark days, but yet the people around Noah and Lot had somehow grown accustomed to the darkness. And they just went along their busy lives. There was evil all around them, and maybe there was a time where they had the courage to try to stand up and say, we've got to fight against this, we've got to stand against it. But somehow they just, the courage got drained out of their soul over time. They just got weary. And they're just like, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to stand against evil. I just really want to worry about my own life. You ever felt this way? I mean, I've got enough just busyness. I just, I'm, people are getting married. Uh, I've got jobs to do. I've got to plant stuff. i just got to do stuff. And so I just circle around myself, and I write on my little card things for my best life right now. That's really all I'm concerned about. I'm, I'm mostly just concerned about trying to create my best life now. I don't have time or energy to fight or stand up against any kind of evil out there. And they kind of, their heart just grows cold because at the center of their lives is, are themselves and not God any longer. And swift judgment comes upon these people. Verse 27, verse 29 they are all destroyed. 
I mean, you're, you're, we're, we're in this passage where it's just following along, listening to Jesus, trying to understand what it means to be his disciple, and he's looking at us. Now, this isn't people outside. Notice that. Sometimes he addresses the crowd. He's addressing the inside crowd here. This can happen to you. We live in dark spiritual times. It can get tiring. And you can just say, I just don't have any energy for that. I'm just going to circle the wagons around my little life and just try to build my little best life now. Got to get my retirement all set together. Got to get my kids all set together. Got to get my business all set together. Got to put all these things into place. And your heart just eventually grows cold to the things of the Lord. And when he comes, it'll be sudden. It'll be sudden for the people out on the outside. It'll be sudden for the people on the inside. Then finally, Jesus concludes this teaching that's already been troubling in my mind with these disturbing images. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Might want to put this at the top of your prayer card. Little memory verse. Luke 18, 32, remember Lot's wife. Genesis 19, Lot's wife, what a warning. She and her family had com been commanded. Remember, the angels of the Lord are going down to Sodom. You'll have to go see, see this for yourself later this afternoon in Genesis 19. Judgment is com coming upon Sodom. The angels are there looking for anybody that's righteous. They basically can't find anybody. And they have to usher out Lot, his wife, and his two daughters and say, you gotta, you don't, don't turn back, just run as fast as you can because fire is coming down onto this city. Do, do not turn around. But Lot's wife had curated her hungers for the world so strongly that even when it came to saving her soul, she couldn't let go. I spend my whole life curating all the things that are for my best life, looking at them, putting, on, putting them on my vision board, having dreams about them, writing my goals down for what, what's, what's Paul Phillips' best life. And when God comes and says, you're in danger of judgment, Paul, run away from these things. Do not look back. If you have not practiced running towards God at that moment, your hunger's will pull you back into the world. And Lot's wife is destroyed. Whoever seeks to lose his life, remember this, verse 33, in this world, whoever seeks to say, I see those things, I'm not even saying they're bad, but they can't be my God, they can't be my whole circle of life, I've got to learn how to run away, I've got to practice praying and running towards God instead of running towards these things. See, Lot, Lot's wife, she was in the inside. She was in the church, so to speak. And she's the one who lost her life. She self-destructed because she couldn't let go of things of the world. It's very disturbing. And I have seen firsthand people who've trained their hungers for the pleasures of this world. And I've watched them when it comes to making a critical decision, even a destiny decision, 
and they know they should go towards God, but they cannot because they've trained their hungers towards the world. So one of the things that we do with prayer, one of the exhortations here of this parable is to pray is so you don't become that way. You don't self-destruct. And when he comes, it will seem sudden. Verse 34, I tell you, this is a, a little phrase that you always circle in your Bible. When Jesus says, I need to tell you something, then you pay attention. You pay attention to everything he says. But if he starts out, I tell you, then okay, I, I'm, doubled in, I'm doubled down. I tell you, when I come in that night, there'll be two in one, two in one bed and one will be taken and the other left. There'll be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And the disciples said, left where? Where the corpse is. There the vultures will gather. Mm. This sound like Jesus? This sound like your version of Jesus? Jesus is trying to make it crystal clear that eternal life hangs on whether, whether you're ready for his return. Drowning in a flood, flood fire falling from the sky, vultures feeding on a corpse... These are all disturbing images. They're designed to cause you to start wrestling inside saying, maybe my hungers are too much for the world. I, I don't want to end up like this. I, I, don't, I don't want to become like Lot's wife. I don't want to miss the boat. I don't want to be a corpse left for vultures. But, it, but it's not too late right now. That's the context. See, it's important to know that context. So go in peace. <laughs> no, no, that's not. That wouldn't be a good place to end the sermon, would it? You're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all energized here, and I'm concerned because Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying this, and I'm considering myself a disciple. So I, I don't want to turn into Lot's wife. I don't want to miss the boat. I don't want to be the corpse left. And so naturally. They're asking the questions, well, what should we be doing to make sure we don't become Lot's wife or miss the boats or become a corpse? And Jesus supplies the answer by giving the parable. You tracking with me so far? The answer is, don't become Lot's wife by praying. Pray. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. Don't become a corpse. Don't, don't miss the boat by praying keep praying don't lose heart just you just you can feel jesus's heart exhorting them to come to this and then now, now we're going to look at the content of luke 18 1 through 8 think about this first of all jesus knows then when there that there's going to be difficult times to pray to me that's that's just helpful right hey you know what sometimes it's going to be hard to pray Okay, okay, good. Okay, because it's hard for me sometimes. At least you're acknowledging, Paul, it's sometimes going to be really hard for you to pray. So I'm going to have to come in here and try to help you out in some way. And frequently you'll see this in the Gospels. Luke 4, 24 is one of, them, one of them. Jesus went out to a solitary place to pray. So it's Jesus' habit. Yet you remember, some of you remember, 
in the darkest spiritual moment for Jesus, Gethsemane, what did he do? What did he add to his prayer? Hey, can you three come with me? See, this is going to be a hard time for me to pray. It would be easy for Jesus to say, I, I, I feel like I want to turn aside. I want a different cup. I, I don't want this cup. And I'm afraid that my heart might move away from the things of the Lord. So would you three, my best friends, would you come with me? You see, he understands that difficulty. So he's bringing alongside these three people saying, hey, would you help me pray? Well, we all know the disciples, they didn't do a great job, did they? So Jesus, God sent angels to help Jesus to pray. So there's going to be sometimes it's difficult for us to pray. And when you can't pray, you, you need to ask others to come help you. Just say, I can't pray right now. Can you pray for me? Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about end times. Some will be put to death. Others will be hated because of my name. And at this time, there will be many who fall away. Benny was here last week, our, one of the missionaries that we uh, supported in India. He had a couple of pictures up here of some people who had been beaten and burned. Would you survive that? I mean, you want to, don't you want to say yes? But, but really, would you? Would I, would I? I mean, it's a real question like, have I, have I trained my habits? Have I trained my hungers? A am I in a way of, of courageously walking with Jesus in really small things so when larger things come, I could endure that? See, if your whole life is just your best life now, PT's checklist. When it comes and you're getting beaten, that's not on your checklist. And it'd be, be easy for his disciples, and one of them did, when it got difficult to fall away. The love of many will grow, grow cold. See, Jesus understands prayerlessness leads to coldness. And that coldness leads to losing heart. My mom really liked to cook. And she was really a great cook. And she had a gauge, big silver gauge, a meat thermometer. A lot of you have them now. They're little digital things. They're fancy. But this was, you know, this was massive, big dial on it. And she would cook something, you know, let's say a turkey or a chicken or whatever it was. And then she'd pull it out, you know, pull it out, still on the rack. Get her little meat thermometer, pop it in there, and she just stared that gauge and just watching. Is it going to hit the right number? And I wonder if we had a spiritual meat thermometer today. If you're a visitor, we don't do this when you leave or anything. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, if we could kind of poke your heart in the nicest way, you know what I'm saying, and had a little dial on it. Has your heart grown colder in 2022 towards the things of the Lord? 
if you feel like it has or it's drifting that way, then here's your prayer right here. Lord, would, from one degree to another, would you change my heart? Would you raise the temperature of my heart? Not, not just in passion, but passion towards your things. See, I've got a big temperature gauge on passion for the world, and I need to, I, that, that gauge needs to come down, and this gauge needs to go up. That's, that's a great prayer request. Now, if you're just, let me give you one simple suggestion if you've got a cold heart. And I'm not saying you've always had a cold heart. Maybe you had a hot heart towards God, but it's cold now. I was listening to a podcast on um, a book called Atomic Habits. The guy was just talking about how you formulate habits. And this used an example of a guy who wanted to get in better shape, pretty typical, you know, habit at the beginning of a year. And he decided he would get up and do one push-up a day. And that he would go to the gym four days a week just for five minutes. And when five minutes was up, he'd go home. Now, is that going to get that guy in shape? Oh, how I wish it would. Oh. <laughs> no, but what this guy knew is that trained a habit, a hunger. One led to two. Two led to four. Five minutes led to 30 minutes. But see, if you don't have it, your heart's cold just say my heart's cold god help me pray an hour a day guess what never gonna you're never gonna do an hour you don't have the capacity to do an hour so just say i know i'm just i am just so weak in faith lord just one minute like when i get up i'm not gonna look at my phone and just for one minute and if you do that if you just start that habit that minute will grow and you'll begin to change. And your hungers will begin to change towards the things of the Lord rather than the things of yourself. If you don't, remember Lot's wife. So Jesus tells a parable. A widow comes to an unjust judge, pleads for help. She's being oppressed in some way, doesn't say. She wants this judge who has some authority to change things to enter in. But he's not that interested in what she has to say and ignores her several times. And in the story, we're the widow. We're the helpless person. We don't have any way to lift ourselves up in some way. We've got to come to the judge, and God is the judge. And he, he caught, he's willing to hear. But the, the, the odd part of the parable is that God isn't an unjust judge. We're not supposed to leave saying, you know, God's busy, and if I just keep praying, then maybe he'll come around. That's not the purpose of the parable. He's saying, look, if an unjust judge came around, if you are his elect, well, he's all in. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times you think, I know. I mean, I've been praying this, God, and I know you're, not, you're tired or you're busy or something. And you have, I just got to... You see, your prayer has to change God. You see how that is bad? And he's saying, no, if an unjust judge could change his heart, then, of course, God, who has elected you, who's put his affection on you, he's there immediately for you to hear your prayer, to give you justice. We're not like a, a gnat. You know, those little gnats that buzz around in your ear, you're always doing this. That's not how God thinks of Paul. Oh, my gosh, same thing all the time. No, that's not how he thinks. 
I love these beautiful images in Isaiah about God having a mother's heart. Isaiah 49, 15. Sometimes just helpful to picture this for me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And have no compassion? Answer, no, it's not possible. I will not forget you. Isaiah 66, 13. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. So God's like a great mother. He's always hearing, always eager. Now, now my kids, they got a great example of this from their mother. The mother heart of God. They got to see it with their mother. Because when we were all asleep and something happened and they had to get up, they came into our room, guess which side of the bed they came to? Yeah, because they came to mine and I was like, are you bleeding? How badly? Is the house on fire? I mean, how badly is the house on fire? Because, I mean, I'm not moving unless it's just an absolute emergency. So one or two of those and then they're around the other side, right? And Nancy's like, oh, oh, let me get up, let me help, let me, I'm going to pay attention, what do I need? Let me hold your hand, let me take you back to bed, all that stuff. That's how God is, he can't wait to come in and hear. He's not like Paul Phillips in that way. He's got a mother's heart, he can't forget you. It's not possible for him to forget you. And I know some of you feel like I've been forgotten. Now I want to read these last two verses carefully, and this we're going to come to a close it's very important because if you don't read it, I think, in the right way, it can be discouraging. Now, there's a lot of controversy. It's probably a too hard of a word or too strong of a word. But one commentary details 12 different ways you can take these last two verses. So I am not going to give you the 12 different ways. I'm going to give you one of the 12, the one that I think makes most sense in the context and also in my experience. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Now when I read that, it's a rhetorical question. And what's the answer to this question? Will he delay? No. I mean, I'm his elect, so will he delay? No, he won't delay. And it's further proven in verse 8, I tell you, he'll give you justice to them speedily. Speedily, in my mind, means like right now. Or maybe tomorrow. I mean, I can wait till tomorrow. But it's not, a, it's not much longer than that. And speedily. That's speedily. But I've cried out for justice a lot, and I haven't been answered speedily. And when I don't get a speedy answer, you know what the result is? A heart that starts growing cold. A heart that starts losing heart. Now, anybody have this experience? Maybe it's just me. But I read this verse and I think what God's saying is, will I delay long? Well, no, he's going to come speedily. And then speedily is like so far 40 years. So it doesn't seem too speedy. Let me just unpack it for you. I think it can help. Speedily in the Greek can mean quickly in time, like today, or manner. 
When he comes, he comes speedily. Does that make sense? There's a difference between those two. God's justice will come soon in time, like tomorrow, or when God's justice comes, it comes suddenly when it happens. And I think the context, which is why I did the chapter 17, helps you understand. God long-suffering endured the days of Noah and Lot, right? But when he came, it was speedily. So he didn't come at the first sign of evil. He endured. He has a heart that's patient. He wants everyone to come to him. But when he decides to come, it's in a manner, it comes right now. Does that make sense? I think that helps the context. And two will be in bed and one will be taken. Well, in that moment, it sure seems speedily, right? I mean, boom, it's over. And I don't have any chance to, to do anything. It's done. It's, he's coming. I can't change course. Then in verse 7, I don't think this is the best way to translate this verse the way the ESV has it because the way they say it is, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, question mark, which isn't in the text, but there's a word between night and will, and that word is though. So let me reread it. And will not God give justice to his elect? We know that that is true. Those like me who cry out day and night, though he delay long over them. You see, that makes a big difference to me. Because now my answer is different. Will God delay? Will he give justice? Yes. Though right now he's long-suffering. That's the word there. So right now you're searching for justice and I want you to know, which is what I think Jesus is saying, is he hears your cry. He cannot not hear your cry. You're like the child at the breast of a mom. There's no way to disassociate you from his heart. Though right now there may be long suffering. And during that time, he is with you. That makes a big difference in my prayers. That makes a big difference in my expectations. Now this word here, long-suffering, I'm going to close here. In the Greek is two words, macro, meaning long, and thumia, which is something used for heat or passion, like a thermometer. So long passion you know, when you're passionate about something, especially injustice, the, this word can be long, hard breathing. You ever get that way? Like, I'm wanting justice. And you just, you're taking that big, deep, hard breath because it's not the way it should be. So he's with you in this long breath. He hears and sees injustice. He shares your hard breathing. He desires to make things right, but for right now, for reasons we don't understand, it's long-suffering. And he's bearing your, your pain along with you. Some of you read this in a science journal recently. It's sort of been over around the news that a study was published which confirmed, and I'll quote, Heart rhythms synchronize when couples in long-term relationships are in close proximity to each other. 
So they just did a scientific study and they noticed the couples that have been in long-term loving relationships, their hearts begin to sync up. It goes on to say this, fathers, take note. You may be more useful in labor and delivery rooms than you realize. When a loving husband holds the hand of a woman in pain, their heart rates begin to sink and her pain begins to dissipate. So I think that's the picture. That when you're in relationship with somebody, when you love them and they're suffering, you take hold of their hand. And you're taking hold of God's hand. He's lessening that pain. And your heart beat begins. Thank you. I don't even know your name. This is not my wife. But do you see how beautiful that picture is? I link up with God. How do I link up with him? Prayer. I begin to hold God's hand in prayer, and he begins to take my pain. And my heart begins to beat at his pace. He feels that deep breath of injustice. He knows it. And he says, hey, I'm going to get you all the way home. When he comes, will he find faith? Let's pray. Lord, this, ah, this, is, this is a great passage that stirs up so many different things. And I don't know what you may have stirred up in the heart and mind and soul, spirit of somebody here. But I, I pray especially for those who feel like they're growing cold that they would hear your passion, your encouragement, and they would take hold of your hand today. And you begin to ease their pain and sink their hearts up with your heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.